Oh, great. Great to be with you, everybody. Fun to be outside, yeah? I'm going to teach you a, a gesture this morning. And uh, it involves making the sign of the cross with your index finger and your thumb and holding your other three fingers up like this. Can you see that? You want to make that gesture with me? Yep. Good. Go ahead. Good, good, good. Now, the, the, the reason I want to teach this to you is because of the little hole that it makes in the gap of the meaty part of your hand so that you can peer through it. Go ahead. Go ahead and try that. Good, good. I think there's a tremendous amount of discipline and faith required to choose how you're going to look at the world. And there's like the normal way of looking at the world that pretty much everybody does to varying degrees of being positive or being negative. But then there's a, a cross-shaped view of the world. Do that one more time just so you, you got it. See, when I, when I choose to look through the cross, I, I can see very little. But some things come into really sharp focus. Like, like when I choose to look like this, I can see my friend Scott Robertson sitting in the back. I can see my daughter over there. I can see some of my close friends. Like when you choose where and how you're going to look, you're also choosing not to look at a bunch of other things that are still there. But in order for you not only to survive, but in order for you to experience the best that God has for you, in your mind, in your heart, in your church, in your family, you have to choose which things you're going to look at and how you're going to look. And that's really the, the substance of our talk today from the first chapter of Philippians, is looking with a cruciform perspective. You ever heard that word before, cruciform? No, yeah. It, it, you can guess what it means, right? It means cross-shaped. And all of the Christian life is cross-shaped. It's cruciform. It's the cruciform life. Now, we forget this sometimes. Because you go to church or you listen to Christian music, and it sounds like the Christian life is joy-shaped. Well, it is. But the joy comes because you look at life's circumstances, challenges, and opportunities through the cross. And sometimes you, you listen to good things and you, you get around Christian people, they feel really happy. And you think, well, the Christian life is a happy life. Well, it's only happy because of the experience we have once we look through the cross. Never forget that the whole Christian story is not about God. It's about God leaving heaven to live here. As one of you, as somebody like me, living like a normal person and then being betrayed, heartbroken, murdered, unjustly executed, and his story seemingly ends in absolute failure. That's the cross, the story of the cross. The greatest man to ever live, the one perfect guy to ever live, gets killed. Gets killed by the political powers of his day, gets killed by the religious conservatives of his day. He gets, he gets killed. He gets totally screwed. And in that very betrayal is all the strength of the Christian life. Because God says, even when things look their worst, even when your closest friends betray you, even when the religious people aren't there for you, even when the politicians let you down, when nobody or anybody anywhere at any time can stand up for you, God says, your life's not over. 
So, of course, the Christian story doesn't end with the death of Jesus, but with the resurrection of Jesus and the indwelling of Jesus' spirit in you. Now, that is kind of a mouthful, right? So if you forget everything I just said, you can go like this. Go, Dave says sometimes it'll suck, but then it'll be better later. That's, that's not exactly what I said, but that'll get you there. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. A really towering figure in early Christian history, right after Jesus. But he started out as one of the people who hated Jesus. He was killing Jesus' followers. And then God got a hold of his life, and he did a 180. Now, you might have people in your life that are killing you right now. Could be somebody at work, and you feel like they're just riding you all the time. Could be a neighbor. Could be somebody on Facebook who's just constantly agitating you. Heck, it could be your spouse. It could be your kids. And you think to yourself, i got to get rid of this person. Hey, don't give up on people, man. God didn't give up on Paul while he was an absolute criminal, an enemy to the faith. God didn't give up on you. And maybe you got to draw some boundaries here and there. That could be appropriate. But don't lose faith in the ability of God's Holy Spirit to transform your enemies into allies. Because that's the business that God is in. Well, the Apostle Paul starts out as an enemy of the faith, is radically transformed, becomes a preacher, proclaiming the good news that he was previously persecuting, and he gets thrown in jail for it. Beaten up, humiliated, imprisoned. These are bad circumstances. And here's what he says in Philippians chapter 1. I'm reading from the King James Version. Because it's the smallest Bible I have, and I wanted to put it in my back pocket. I wanted you to know, brethren, this is verse 12 in chapter 1, that the things which happened to me, being arrested, being beaten, being humiliated, these things have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Meaning what? Meaning stuff, bad stuff that happened actually turned out to be Good. Not the stuff itself. The stuff itself sucked. Going to jail sucks. Getting beat up sucks. Being turned in sucks. All that stuff was bad. But this is the first and most important thing about the cruciform perspective. <coughs> is that when you look through the eyes of the cross, that our tragedies can be redeemed. It means even very, very bad things can bring about good ends. That doesn't mean the bad things are not bad anymore. No, they'll always be bad. doesn't mean that the bad things are undone. No, sometimes those bad things are long-lasting. It just means that even with a giant bowl full of crap, God can make a good cake. Well, that is a new thing I just said for the first time, and probably not going to say it again, but it gets to the point. Make sure you're listening. You think, well, how can God take the mess of my life and do something good with it? I'll tell you how. The evidence is all around you, sitting on the lawn. Now, I don't know every one of you, not intimately, not personally, but I know enough of you to speak with absolute confidence that God has taken your tears and transformed them into joys. I know enough of you, and I know enough of your story to say that God has been faithful to you again and again and again. I see it all the time. 
People who think it can't get any worse than this. I lost my job. And then God shows up and radically transforms the situation in your life so that what seemed like the absolute worst thing all of a sudden gave God space and opportunity to bless you, to heal you, to restore you. God can transform your tragedies. God can redeem your tragedies. The Apostle Paul teaches us that. And he learned it from Jesus. Because they understand that the crucifixion is not the end of the story. Just a midway point. Paul goes on, he says, It became evidence, evident to the whole palace guard, everybody watching, and to all the rest of the other prisoners, that the chains I endured are the chains of Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become more confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak without fear. I love that. I love that Paul is saying these palace guards who don't, don't be mistaken, that's not a glamorous job. I mean, if you're a prison guard, even if you're in a palace, you're still stuck in a prison. Like, that's not a good job. You don't want, they don't eat great food as a prison guard, even in a palace. They don't have great working conditions as a prison guard, even in a palace. Their job sucks, but by God's power of the Holy Spirit, these very guards, we're told in the book of Acts, start singing. Start praising God. There's a transformation that happens inside of them that pours out. Now, anybody here know any prison guards? Yeah, I know a bunch. Uh, they don't sing. <laughs> they're, they're not walking through the Jackson prison uh, skipping, having little heartfelt moments of joy. No, the thing that God is doing in them is real. The transforming power of the Holy Spirit is real. Anyway, Paul goes on, and this is actually why I wanted to read this today. He goes on and he says, Some indeed, meaning some other Christian people, preach Christ even from envy and strife. Let, let that sink in for just a moment. Paul is saying that there are some people out there who have bad motives but are still doing good work. I find that really weird. That Paul is saying there are people out there with bad hearts that are speaking good news. And I would expect Paul, if he was only as good a Christian as me, to be really mad about this. But quite the contrary. He goes on to tell us that we ought to rejoice when the gospel is preached, regardless of who's preaching it. Now, I don't know if you've been on the magic of the internet lately, but there's a lot of Christian people that get pretty grouchy about a lot of other things that Christian, other Christian people are doing. There's a lot of competition between churches. There's a lot of competition between uh, worship styles. There's a lot of competition between doctrinal perspectives. And you have a lot of Christians looking at other Christians going, you're not really a good Christian because you don't believe in penal substitutionary atonement the way I do. There's a lot of Christians looking at other Christians going, you're not a real Christian because you don't participate in the liturgical calendar like I do. You're not a real Christian because you're not a Democrat. You're not a real Christian because you're not a Republican. You're not a real Christian because you're not Canadian. I mean, you got all this stuff about what it means to be a real Christian, and Paul here is saying, knock it off. If they preach Christ, we win. If they go to another church, a church that elevates and celebrates Jesus, we win. You know why? Because we're part of the body of Christ. So, so what if they don't like the Bible translation that you like? 
wasn't written in English in the first place. So what if they uh, don't have tattoos? I mean, I can't imagine anybody being that degenerate, but it's possible. The truth is, Christian people today love to major on minors. And the Apostle Paul is reminding us the thing that matters is Christ. Keep perspective. This is what happens when you keep a cruciform perspective. Your competition turns into your cooperation. Man, don't miss that. Don't miss that. I learned that actually from Len Sweet. Eric was talking about him earlier. He's been my friend and mentor for a long time. Very excited to have him come here. And uh, he, when I was doing my doctoral work with him, he was telling me that there's all kinds of people on the internet who have like their sole occupation to just follow him around and talk trash about him. I was like, this can't possibly be true. And it is true. It's hilarious because since we've been running ads on Facebook in the last, you know, six, eight weeks or whatever to advertise that Len's coming here, we keep getting messages from people who I could only politely describe as weirdo, booger-eating Neanderthals telling us that he shouldn't be trusted. I'm like, this is hilarious. And he told me, he goes, oh, yeah, David, this, this is really common. That's like their whole hobby. They're, they're part of something called online discernment ministries, ODMs. I was like, OMG, that's so D-U-M. I don't understand how that works. So sure enough, I, I didn't believe him, but I, I started Googling it. And yeah, there's, like, there's people who just, who just want to talk trash about Len. Len, who I think has, you know, he's got one earned PhD, one earned D-man, and six honorary doctorates. Len, who's taught all over the world in every denominational background. He's, he is the single greatest living evangelical theologian. And everybody else I know who would be in contention for that uh, agrees. So then you get online and you find out that, you know, Bobby Booger Eater doesn't like something that Len says. And you go like, where did you learn that, Bobby? Did you learn that on the way to hitchhike into the bus station? Because I don't understand why it makes you think you're qualified to run the guy down like that. So anyway, I go online. I start, I start engaging these people defending Len. And they're strange then and len calls me up he says hey are you are you trying to defend me yeah he says don't what do you mean don't it's a waste of time david don't do it well why not he says well first you're never going to change their mind and second and most importantly he goes i believe that if they're in the scripture again and again that god's holy spirit is going to find a way to speak to them so the more they read their Bible, trying to find out ways that I'm wrong, the more the Holy Spirit will capture their imagination, their heart, their mind, and their soul, and transform them. He goes, so as long as they're studying the Bible, as long as they're pursuing Jesus, I don't care what they think about me. And I just thought, that is the coolest, most beautiful spirit ever. That he doesn't need them to like him, he just needs them to follow Jesus. And I thought, man, that's the kind of Christian I want to be. That's the kind of church that we want to have. Where the important thing is not how popular or well-regarded we are. The important thing is that we elevate and celebrate the name of Jesus. And when you have that perspective, you stop worrying about who says what or who's coming from where. You just keep directing people back and back and back to the Lord. Now, I've been a pastor a long time. I grew up in a 
pastor's family. And I tell you what, man, if I could wave a magic wand, I think the greatest gift to the American church would just be to get Christians to like each other. Just to, you know, be hallmarked by our love instead of by our tribalism. That would be huge. And if you want that, you got to learn how to see the world through the cross. Understanding that pain, and suffering, disappointment are all part of how God gets a hold of us. All right, let's keep going. The Apostle Paul continues. He said, some preach Christ even from envy and strife, some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely. They're supposing to add affliction to my chains. But the latter group preach Christ out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So what then? What should we care about? Only this, that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. This is the third thing that a cruciform perspective will give you. It will transform your resentment into joy. See, Paul could have been bitter, could have been angry, could have been frustrated that other people were working against him, that other people were running him down. And I don't know if you've ever had anybody work against you, but it's, it's irritating, man. You think, how am I going to get ahead if never mind life's normal obstacles are in my way, but if you are actively opposing, how's that ever going to happen? You see this all the time. You see this in business. You see this in failed relationships. How am I ever going to find true love if I got to keep worrying about my ex? How am I ever going to be able to purchase a new house if I can't get out from underneath this debt? There are people working against me. And Paul says that the power of the gospel transformed our resentment against our opponents into joy. Because we know that everything we endure makes us stronger, pushes us closer towards God, helps us draw deeply on the power of God's Holy Spirit because that's the only way we're going to survive. Friends, this is the power of the cruciform life, of the perspective of seeing life through the cross. When you just look and you don't think about what you're seeing, you see problems, you see tragedies, you see competition, you get filled with resentment. But when you choose where and how you look, well, now all of a sudden your focus gets that much sharper. You don't see tragedy, you see redemption. You don't see competition, you see cooperation. You don't get filled with resentment, you're filled with joy, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And you do that over and over and over and over and over again because that is the task of the Christian life. That is the source of the Christian hope. That is the model from the Christian God, and that's what gives us our name Christian. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. We bless you, and we thank you. Because, Lord, you've saved us. Lord, you've healed us. You've healed our homes. You've healed our families. You've healed our broken hearts. You've healed our imaginations. You've healed our sense of possibility. In every direction, you offer hope and healing to your people. And we want to receive it. Help us, Lord, to become people of genuine and ever-maturing faith. People who look and see the world through your eyes, through your cross, and through the promise of your resurrection. Help us, God, to be people who are marked by faith, 
not just by our circumstances. These things we pray in your name. Amen.